0: Our reading this morning is taken from Revelations chapter 1, verses 9 to 18. I, John your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. This is the word of the Lord.
1: I want to talk uh, this morning about a power that can transform our lives. Because we all need power in life. We need power to sustain us in our daily living. We need power for specific struggles and challenges that we face. And in life, we tend, as human beings, to seek to uh, take hold of power in two ways, either through working up power, by our own will in a self-generated way, or by seizing power through the world's institutions. And yet we know deep down in our hearts that both these forms of power are fallible. Neither one of them brings us a lasting and settled peace. Now, what we need is a different kind of power. We need a spiritual power, and we need a power ...that we see represented here in this passage. Resurrection power. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave... ...and astonishingly lives in each one of us. It's a power that enables us to know true joy and peace... It's a power that enables us to rule and reign, and it's a power that allows us to extend the heavens, the heaven on earth that we see spoken of in Scripture. Now, this talk comes with an Oxford Health warning slapped on it, because in this high-achieving city, it would be easy to think that resurrection power, this power, is achieved through our own effort, through our own activity, but it always comes within a relationship and only by God's grace. It comes in our passage to John, who is Jesus' beloved disciple, and he's been sentenced by the Roman state to exile on the island of Patmos. It's about 55 years after Jesus died on the cross and first appeared in his resurrection body to his disciples. So John is now an old man, aged around 90. And he's here in exile because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. In other words, the fact that he's faithfully witnessed to the name of Jesus Christ. Some scholars think that patmos comes from the Greek verb pateo, which means to tread or to trample, like you tread or trample grapes to make wine. And the suggestion is, is that Moss, being on Patmos was a kind of slang for being in a tight corner, being squeezed to bits, being in a hard place, being under the cosh. In other words, being in a bit of a dead-end situation, not being in a place of promise. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel like right now in life, your feet are on rather Narrow ground, you're in a bit of a dead end place. Maybe in a particular area of your life, you find it hard to imagine God's kingdom breaking in. But that's precisely when and where resurrection power come. In the New Testament, the disciples are always in a situation of vulnerability or weakness when the risen Jesus appears to them. So let's each approach this passage this morning from a place of personal vulnerability, from a place of weakness, not from one of self-willed strength. And the first thing we see in this passage is that resurrection power comes as a person, not as some high voltage current or some impersonal force. No, it comes in a real place at a real moment in time, in the risen person of Jesus Christ, and in response to personal worship. On the Lord's Day, a Sunday, just like today, John is worshipping in the spirit, that is from the heart, led by the Holy Spirit, just like we've been doing, when Jesus reveals himself to him. And this can give us hope because it means that Jesus, the risen Jesus, is here in our gathering with us today. Now, Jesus here appears in this uh, passage in his most kingly and exalted form of any that we've seen yet in Scripture. And yet, we're going to see the same wonderful union of contrasts in his character as we've seen anywhere else in his earthly ministry. A man who's meek, and yet who speaks of coming on the clouds in glory. A man who sends demons screaming, and yet to whom children come running with open arms. A man who says, a bruised reed I will not break, and yet overturns moneylenders tables in the temple with righteous fury. A man who humbly washes his disciples' feet, and yet speaks with an authority beyond any spiritual or religious Leader, This is Jesus Christ. And he comes here in a new, exalted state. And what we notice, first of all, is his supreme power. His eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Think of that moment in The Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf the Grey, who we thought was dead reappears to his startled companions as Gandalf the White. Tolkien writes, His hair was white as snow in the sunshine, and gleaming white was his robe. The eyes were bright, piercing as the rays of the sun. Power was in his hand. And between wonder, joy, and fear, they stood and found no words to say. And John's response here is exactly the same. He says of the risen Jesus, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And I wonder if you've ever looked into the open door of a blast furnace. I remember doing that on a school trip once. And it is an awesome sight. And it might be purely frightening what John encounters here, except that as well as embodying supreme power, Jesus embodies supreme tenderness. And so he, the risen Jesus here walks among the seven lampstands, the people of his church. He's Emmanuel, God with us. His first words to John are comforting and reassuring. Do not be afraid. His intentions are good. You might remember in The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, Mr. Beaver says of Aslan, of course he isn't safe, he's powerful, but he's good. Jesus is good. And the touch of his hand on John brings deep reassurance. Have you known the hand of unconditional love laid upon your back? That is the hand of the risen Jesus. Now where else in our lives do we see this marriage of perfect power and perfect love? Only, I'd suggest, in the person of the risen Jesus. At my secondary school, we had different kinds of teacher. And there was the headmaster, Mr. Shaw. He was the man who held all the power, uh, but he didn't show a lot of tenderness. You weren't terribly sure if you were actually loved by him. Then there was Mr. Cake, uh, Cake by name and Cake by nature, my English teacher. And you kind of came to his class, and. It was like falling into the warm arms of a kindly uncle. He was all tenderness, except that you knew in the kind of pecking order of the school, Mr. Cake held no power. And then there was Mr. Houston, my history teacher, who was a canny expert in handling power, and yet where you always felt the sunshine of his love. We rarely expect to find power and tenderness in the same person who can supremely contain both who holds all imaginable power in the universe and yet lays down that power to serve us this is God in Jesus Christ the God who dies for us on the cross this is the man the risen Jesus who doesn't remain aloof from us somewhere distant but who draws close, who wants to come as near to us as hands and feet. Look, he says to John in this passage, look, I am alive forever and ever. Look, in the Greek, that's behold. When I was a theatre director uh, many years ago, I sometimes worked with actors who just come off the sets of working on Hollywood films. And they used to talk about the unwritten no-eye-contact rule on those sets. And the no-eye-contact rule meant that, basically, when you passed the A-list actor, the star of the movie, on the film set, there was to be no eye contact with them. They were too powerful. You might drain their power somehow. Keep your eyes down. The risen Jesus says here, look at me. Look at me, I want to share the abundance of my life and my blessings with you. The second thing we see in this passage is that resurrection power flings open the door of any tomb. At the cross, the Roman authorities condemn Jesus to crucifixion, the most extreme form of state control and humiliation. And yet God raised Jesus from the dead and from the shadow of Caesar's throne. Now, in just the same way, the state has exiled John to Patmos, a volcanic island in an ocean, and the risen Jesus breaks in there, appears to him, and suddenly it's as if John is in the throne room of God. What does that mean? It means that in any work situation or neighborhood situation that you're in, where it feels like... Cultural forces are threatening to silence you because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus that you're living out. Jesus wants you to know today that He alone is Lord of the world. But the freedom He brings goes much further than that. In this passage, He says, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last, I'm the living one. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades." Uh, In our house at the moment, we're trying to currently free a jammed lock. And so uh, over the last few days, um, don't judge me, but I've been on YouTube looking at um, lock picking videos. And I'm really excited because I've got on order a Peterson 7 0.015 millimetre lockpick, which is apparently going to do the trick. But the thing is, there are existential locks, locks in our lives, which no lockpick is ever going to open. In the Garden of Eden, death came into the world as a result of Adam's sin. St. Paul says in Romans 5.12, Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And sin spells spiritual defeat and death. But Jesus comes as the new Adam, dying for our sins on the cross and being raised to new life. And he holds the keys that can lock up death and liberate us from any of the effects of Adam's curse. Power is in his hand. He can open any prison door in our lives. You might remember that song, Who's Got the Power? He's got the power, the risen Jesus. And this is the power that I discovered through learning about Jesus when I did an Alpha course some years ago. I'd come to the course in confusion, uh, I was facing various endings in my life. I'd just ended a relationship. Uh, I was transitioning out of theatre directing. I was ending a career. Uh, I was actually facing endings so much, I thought for a while I should become a funeral director for some bizarre reason. But I came to Alpha. I was spiritually hungry. I wasn't really sure what I believed. Uh, I was fairly ignorant about the claims of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And on that course... I heard about this Jesus who is the first and last. In other words, like a kind of unbroken cord spanning from the beginning of time to the end of time. Including that moment in time, 2,000 years ago, when he broke into the world in human form, lived, died, and then was raised, defeating death. And... In coming to believe in Jesus Christ, everything changed for me. God wove me into that cord. I took my place in that story. And that was an extraordinary thing because it meant that on a difficult day and on a difficult day now, I can know that I come from the one who is at the beginning, who knew me before the beginning of creation, who is behind creation, who sustains it, I can know that before I was ever created in my mother's womb, I come from him, that I have a life of meaning and purpose here, and that I have a destiny in a new creation that is yet to come, an eternal life with Jesus. And when that happens, we realize that in answer to the question, who's got the power, the only answer is, he's got the power, the risen Jesus Christ. He can lock up apparently impossible opponents and he can free us from apparently impossible situations. With these, with his keys, the keys of death and Hades, which he holds in this passage in his hands. You're anxious about death. He says, I hold the key. You feel paralyzed by some sin in your life. He says, I hold hold the key. You feel beset by fear. He says, do not be afraid. I hold the key. When we face the tombs in our lives, the risen Jesus comes holding the keys of death and Hades. Now, can we know liberation without going into those tombs again? No, I want to suggest. What we learn on Easter Sunday is that our place of imprisonment is our very place of potential. That it's into the places of defeat and disappointment and disillusion and death in our lives, which still live in pockets within us, that resurrection power comes in. That's where it operates. It's precisely from those places that new life springs. So, Jesus says to every power this morning, He says, Approach all contenders. He's not phased. St. Paul says, No power will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can overcome God's love, His resurrection power. No earthly power, no supernatural power, nothing. Jesus tells us that no fear of death or defeat or limit is final. Only he has the final word over our life. And then thirdly, our passage shows us that resurrection power advances heaven on earth. Because resurrection power isn't for our pleasure, although it brings many, many blessings. It's for God's purposes St. Paul says that if death reigned by one man, Adam, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We are intended to reign and rule in this life, in our risen life. Theologian Tom Wright says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth, to heaven, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Jesus' hand upon John isn't simply to comfort and reassure, it's also to commission and empower. Consider this, the risen Jesus appears to a 90-year-old man and he gives him this modest job description. Right the final book of the Bible. Write the only book of the Bible that is guaranteed to bless its reader. Write my personal message to the global church for all time. Write the conclusion to my plan for the kingdom of heaven coming on earth. He gives that assignment to a 90-year-old man. Now, your assignment may not be to write the book of Revelation, But it may be to call upon resurrection power for a broken family relationship, for a situation of conflict at work, for a faltering marriage, for a friend who seems to be suffering defeat in their struggle with addiction. Resurrection power wants to work in us today just as it did in John. And it can do so when we do What John did, how did he access or make himself open to the grace of resurrection power? He worshipped in spirit. He got into the presence of the risen Jesus. He had a fresh encounter and Jesus laid his hand upon him. This is power which is intended to redeem every inch of creation before Jesus returns again in glory to usher in a new creation that will never end. Have you ruled yourself out of God's mission with a thought like, I'm too old? You may not be 90, but perhaps you're 80, or 70, or 60. Maybe you've ruled yourself out thinking, I'm too young, or I don't have the gifts, or the resources, or the courage, or I'm just not in the right place at the right time. Resurrection power overcomes all of these objections. They're perfectly human. They're very understandable. They're nothing to be ashamed of. But resurrection power comes from heaven. The risen Jesus comes to a 90-year-old man on a volcanic island and works life-changing results in and through him. Does this mean We're spared trials in our lives. No, John says here, He's our brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. John explicitly identifies with his brothers and sisters who are groaning, who are suffering. He doesn't have any self pity for his own situation. We know that John later returned to the mainland from exile, but it certainly wasn't for some time. Sometimes God and the risen Jesus deliver us from suffering. Sometimes they give us patient endurance within our suffering. But what the book of Revelation shows is that at the end of time, when Jesus comes again, resurrection power will burst onto center stage. That in this passage, we see the risen Jesus in glory, but at that amazing final time, we're going to see God's glory just shot through every atom of existence. And meanwhile, today, what's our task? It's in our families, our workplaces, our colleges, to be simple carriers of resurrection Power, with the power that raised Jesus from the dead alive and living through us. And so you may feel in some way that you're on a barren rock this morning in some area of your life that you're alone and exiled and yet everything can change because when power is in the risen Jesus' hand And when he lays his hand upon you, then literally anything becomes
0: possible. In Jesus' name, amen.